0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us as we continue our studies in the Gospel of Matthew. We're doing the family Bible studies in Matthew, and our goal for the year is to bring the Gospel home, taking the Sunday readings from Mass and taking them home. Now, this is episode 426 of Faith and Family. Our previous episode, 425, we described how you can do this with only 15 minutes preparation per week and what equipment you need and how to do it easily and what Bibles to choose. And there's a lot of information there, but if if you need to pick out Bibles for yourself or your children and want a little help with that just send an email to askthehost at gmail.com, and you can really help us out if you have an episode number or at least a general idea. But last episode is 425. We are going to be offering a free handout for the Gospel of Matthew today, and this is at episode 426. If you can kind of remember episode numbers, it makes things really easy on this end. So, What are we trying to do when we bring the gospel home? What are we trying to do in our own personal lives when we're reading the Bible? What are we trying to do when we teach our children the scriptures like the Gospel of Matthew? The purpose is to know God. And when the Bible speaks about knowing God, it's not talking about knowing about God. It's not talking about knowing certain religious facts Uh, about God, but it's having this personal encounter with the living God whose voice uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit is able to communicate uh, across the centuries through the pages to the human heart and build a strong living faith. And this is why a primary contact with scripture, not books about scripture, not religious textbooks, which are great about scripture, but scripture itself taught from parent to child will convey this deep personal knowledge of God, which is a requirement in my book for getting the faith to remain strong against the cultural pressures that families are facing today. So I'm gonna give you an overview today of some important things in the Gospel of Matthew, but let's start with who. The author, we just read this in Matthew chapter nine, that Matthew was a tax collector. Now you have to ask yourself, who in their right mind would pick a Roman tax collector to write the most influential gospel for the entire world? I mean, this is crazy, but this is what Jesus did. Now, if you're a dad or a mom and you say, I can't do any of this, bring this gospel home, listen. If Jesus can have the greatest, most influential gospel writer of the three synoptic gospels, synoptic means just to see together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar, but Matthew had the big punch in church history, particularly early church history, Who in the world would expect a tax collector to produce that? And if Jesus can have a tax collector produce this gospel, dad and mom, Jesus can use you to teach this gospel from a tax collector to your kids. So, okay, nobody's off-the-hook thing. I just can't do that. It's it's something you can do, and it's not just you. You you just engage in your responsibility in simple ways, and God multiplies that a hundredfold. So, I don't know if you're aware, but if your son or daughter go off to an evangelical, liberal Protestant, or even a Catholic university, there's a very good probability the religion professor will say, Uh, Matthew didn't write the Gospel of Matthew. For instance, if you look in the New American Bible, they tell you point blank in the uh, introduction, Matthew didn't write it. (laughs) And Matthew was dependent upon Mark and a mysterious document called Q. Well, it's interesting that the Gospel of Matthew was cited much, much more than any other gospel in the early church. For instance, there's a wonderful little 16-chapter early church manual for converts. How do you take a pagan and make him a Christian in the midst of a pagan empire? This didache, wonderful. It simply means the teaching, the teaching of the apostles. And it's interesting, Matthew, in this tiny little book, 16 chapters, Matthew was cited 32 times, Mark one time, Luke, two times. Oh, Matthew is dependent upon Mark, and yet there's 32 to one. I think it might have been the other way around. And as far as the mysterious Q document in Didache, zero. About the mysterious Q document through all of church history for the first 2,000 years of the church, zero. Nobody's seen it or heard from it. So anyhow, what did the early church say? Well, Papias, writing about A.D. 130, citing in Eusebius uh, that Matthew wrote the gospel of Matthew in Hebrew or Aramaic, its cousin language, for Jewish converts to Christianity. It was later translated into Greek for the Greek-speaking world. Uh, Irenaeus, in his Treatise against heresies in 180, Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew. Origen, writing about 245, Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew. And finally, St. Jerome, writing between 347 and 420, Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew in Hebrew and then translated that. Uh, he didn't necessarily translate that, but it was translated later into Greek for the wider Greek-speaking world. So Matthew wrote Matthew in contrary uh, to um, modern scholars, but you know modern scholars have to come up with something to write a PhD thesis on, and it's just to me it's it's ridiculous, but they take it very seriously. Don't go for that. Just go what the early church unanimously said, and also watch the resources you pick up and use. Remember, I recommend the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible. They'll give you good, solid reasons for believing that Matthew wrote Matthew along with the early church. When did he write it? Um, I'll mention this as we go on, but probably between 50 and 70 AD, probably closer to 50, it was early. It was written first, and written in Hebrew for the Jewish converts, which made up the bulk of the earliest of the early church. Okay, now, what's it about? Now, you could easily go through a whole year of mass readings in the Gospel of Matthew, and even taking the Gospel home with you and practicing reading the Sunday readings in your home setting, as we mentioned in our previous episode, and still not get the main point. And it's so helpful before you read any book of any kind, and particularly before you read a biblical book, if you can get a solid insight into the main point of a book, then everything you study about that book, you kind of just add to your understanding versus just having a lot of facts that are jumbled together. Okay. So here it is. I'm going to give it to you. And sometimes these things are very hard to discover, um, and they should be obvious, but still they're hard for a lot of people. The key revelation in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is the Messiah. And when you say Jesus is the Christ, Christ is the other way of saying Messiah. But what do we mean by that? That The Messiah is the prophesied and promised king of the Jews. And so the primary theme in the Gospel of Matthew is the related themes, really, the king, Jesus, and the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is highly, highly, highly important. Why? Hopefully we'll have time to get to the practical application today so your kids don't go off on the wrong path in life. This is so incredibly important. It's very simple. The Gospel of Mark and Luke refer to Jesus as king of the kingdom of God, but Matthew says the kingdom of heaven. Now, a person today might think, okay, well, Jesus is going to be king up there, or maybe whenever up there, you know, we go up there. And so basically I go to church now and just basically live my life the way everybody else lives their life, okay? But that's not what St. Matthew meant when he wrote Kingdom of Heaven. Remember, this gospel was the early one written for Jewish converts in all probability, initially written in Hebrew. Well, the Jews so highly reverenced the name God that they had kind of like euphemisms for God so they wouldn't have to pronounce his holy name as revealed in the Old Testament. And so instead of saying the kingdom of God and offending the Jewish ear who he wanted to reach out to, Matthew said kingdom of heaven as a substitute for saying kingdom of God. He did not mean, let me say that again, he did not mean, and let me say it a third time, he did not mean some by-and-by kingdom of heaven, either in some other dimension right now or sometime in the future. Uh, This is very, very incredible that so many people miss this, but are you aware that the vast majority of so-called prophecy experts, Bible experts on biblical prophecy, imagine that the kingdom of heaven has not arrived yet the whole rapture group uh, at any moment, Uh, the kingdom of heaven will come, uh, you know, in the future. It's not here yet. And the first century Jews thought, and the Jews before the first century, they thought that God's reign, his kingdom, would come at the end of history, And they were mistaken, and as incredible as it sounds, I mean, I'm talking about good, sincere people who who can quote you Bible verses up, down, left, right, and backwards and forwards, and Greek and Hebrew, and everything else, miss the main point of the Gospel of Matthew. And the big surprise is, is that the Messiah, the son of David, the great king, who was expected to come at the end of history, instead had a great surprise and ended up coming in the midst of history. He was born in a stable. He came into Jerusalem as a coming king, riding on a donkey. He just blew away every category of expectation. But the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, Arrived with Jesus in his first coming. This is the most basic fact in the Gospel of Matthew. And you, you remember I said I had a handout for you? This is free. And I don't, I'm not aware of anything else that quite is like this. But I have a family Bible study handout number one. It's entitled A Partial List of References to King and the kingdom of heaven in the Gospel of Matthew. And you know what? For every single chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, I give you a reference to king or kingdom. Boom, 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 boom. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, right through chapter 28. And I have just a little description of it, take you five minutes to go through, but it will save you studying Matthew for a year, hearing Matthew for a year and not getting the main point. The main point is that the king and the kingdom of heaven has arrived in the person of Jesus. This is the main point of the gospel of Matthew, and a lot of people aren't getting this, and uh, um, a lot of my Protestant friends, this is absolutely free. I encourage you simply to write us at askthehost at gmail.com. This is episode 426, and give us handout number one. And just, you'll probably know most of these things that I have listed here, but you've never seen them put together with a punch. What's it saying? What's the main point? The main point is that the king has arrived. Now, if you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, and you have the first verse will should be helpful to you to get this, especially, remember, put it in the context that you're a very early uh, Jewish convert, or maybe you weren't even a convert yet. So you have the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 1-1 reads, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, God promised on oath, a sacred oath to Abraham, that kings would come from his lineage. He said in Genesis 17, 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you, from your family line. And then God promised King David. King David is the primary picture of kingship in the entire Old Testament. He was the great Jewish monarch, and one of his descendants would be the Messiah, who would bring his kingdom to the whole world. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the king, the Messiah. When you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus, the king of the world, descended from David, descended from From Abraham. Now, we're just going to have fun for a while. Okay. Just kind of interesting. For those of you, and I don't know, your kids may not know what a DVD player is because everybody streams nowadays, but just I'm just hoping that uh, they remember what a DVD player is. And then let's go to that first chapter of Matthew in verse 17. And, you know, the genealogy of Jesus kind of gets very complicated, but verse 17 says, So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, you could do a Bible study on each individual person in the genealogy and try to actually pronounce these things correctly and all this stuff and still miss the main point. Remember, in one verse, 17, he talks 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. Now, this is where we're going to have our fun and think of D-V-D. Hebrew is kind of different, believe me. Besides reading backwards from right to left, uh, a lot of uh, Hebrew, biblical Hebrew and through the ages, uh, basically had in a word like David – only the consonants, the vowels, if there were vowels, sometimes they uh, spelled the word, the writing would be without vowels, kind of like when you text today, a lot of people leave out a lot of letters, and yet you still kind of figure out what they're saying. Well, the vowels, if they were there, were little marks on beneath the consonants or above them. So basically for David, the A and the I would be kind of secondary vowel marks, but the main word, and sometimes the only way the word was expressed would be the consonants, D, V, D, okay? Now, in Hebrew, uh, they had this thing, and other languages can do this. Every letter was assigned a numerical value, like Aleph, the first letter in the Uh, Hebrew alphabet is one, and then bait, the second letter is two, and such. So, in David, the D is the number four, and V is six, and D again is four. Now, you add up four plus six plus four equals what? Fourteen. (laughs) So, what is verse 17 trying to tell you? Okay, it, it mentions David twice, and then 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. It's just a memory device to, in neon lights in the ancient world, to scream to you, this is all about the descendant of David, the king of Israel, who has invaded human history, and he's here now in the flesh and blood, and we have seen and heard him. This is the gospel that the king has come, is Jesus Jesus the Messiah? Yes, he's the royal bloodline of King David. That's that genealogy, 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. That's the point. And you can see how something so confusing like a genealogy, you can miss the point if you miss the idea that the main theme in this gospel is the king and the kingdom. So again, get your hand out for what's going on in the Gospel of Matthew regarding the kingship of Jesus Christ. Now, if you bring this Gospel home, and remember we're talking about a 25-minute program, 15 minutes of prep, 10 minutes of that prep, you use the Ignatius Catholic Study Bible to read the passage, get a good idea of what that passage is, because the Study Bible has the explanation, bottom part of the page, so you read a paragraph or maybe share the reading with your kids. But as dad particularly, I think it's good to uh, read at least starting the passage. And then you wanna make one comment about the passage, and then you wanna ask one question. And then your kids will probably have questions, which is the terrifying part, <laughs> but nonetheless, they'll have interesting questions. If you really get really get uh, puzzled by something your kids say, I'll try, but usually kids are too smart for adults and they ask really hard questions. But nonetheless, you're welcome to send them to Ask the Host and I'll see what I can do. But here's a practical application, a question that um, you can ask your kids or that your kids might ask you. And it's really important question. And it's this. Why do we live differently? Why is our family different from Johnny's family down the street? Why do we do this? Why don't we do these things? Why are we kind of different? Now, I'll tell you what's going on right now, particularly as children raised in good homes. You know, when they start entering the teen years, they're they're venturing out into the world. They're Venturing out into the culture, and now with smartphones and computers and everything, uh, the culture is actually invading their lives and their minds. And there's kind of like this coexistence, uh, it's kind of a schizophrenia in young people and adults where you might go to church, but your thinking and your behavior is just out of sync with what the Bible is saying, what Jesus intends for us, out of sync with the Sermon on the Mount, and yet you think it's okay because it's quote-unquote normal. So to answer your question, your kid's question, or if you're listening to me, you might have the question, why, why should we live differently? Why not just live like everybody else? And here's the reason that the future has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're not talking about just some abstract thing. In other words, a lot of the incredible promises, like God promises to dwell with his people, that's like the, one of the closing promises of Revelation 21 and 22. That's how the Bible ends, God dwelling with his people Well, you know, at the end of this gospel we're studying this year is, lo, I am with you always until the end of the age. And that's just not kind of like I'm with you in church. I'm with you while you're sleeping. I'm with you if you're a mom during your labor. I'm with you when you get laid off from work. I'm with you when you run into a temptation. I am with you to bless you with the Holy Spirit. I am literally so with you in the Blessed Eucharist, it's the future has arrived, and we don't wait until Jesus returns and this age ends to start living like Christians, because Christ, the Messiah, the King of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, has come into history. And so, really, there's kind of like two types of people in the world, and there's the people— who are in line with the king and the people who are not aligned with the king, they're kind of like clueless as to the, the reality is that Christ is here. His kingdom is here, and this is so huge for our ethics, our lifestyle, our beliefs, and I'm not talking about our church while we're in church beliefs, but when we go home, when we go to work, when we go to school, when we go to the sports field, that's when Christianity really starts. We're supposed to get our orientation when we go to Mass, but we live it out when we live in daily life. What's it like to live as a Christian? Because Christ has invaded history. He has come. Now, I trust that there's somebody listening who would say, wow, um, I'm not living anything like a Christian life. Yeah, I, I go to church, at least now and then, but I go to church, and I believe, but um, I don't see any difference between my lifestyle and that of my friends, my fellow students, my co-workers. So, what do I do? Well, You don't have to turn very far in the Gospel of Matthew, turn to Matthew chapter 3, and you meet this guy named John the Baptist, and God sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for people to meet the king. This is staggering because not a lot of people were ready for this in the first century. A lot of people aren't ready for this in the 21st century, and John the Baptist simply said, "'Repent.'" For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that simply means you're going down the highway at 80 miles an hour, and oops, I'm living my life the wrong way. Repent means you turn around 180 degrees and place your trust in Jesus Christ, the King of heaven and earth. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 426 of Faith and Family Radio.